Welcome to the Been There Ad podcast, the sounds of the brew. In episode one, we talked to Jack of Muttley and Jacks about his roasting career, his fika, how he pairs them with coffee, and his Swedish roasting championship adventures. Welcome. Can you uh, start by giving us a bit of an introduction? Who are you? Yes, my name is Jack Ryan. Uh, I'm an Irish man living in Stockholm uh, who came here 10 years ago planning to stay for six months and now <laughs> a decade later uh, feeling very much at home. Uh, most of my life here I've worked with uh, various non-profit organizations but about uh, three years ago I started feeling the, the pull towards uh, specialty coffee and about two years ago I started making some serious movements towards making that my, my career, my profession uh, and then about one year ago uh, this coming May, uh, launched a coffee roasting company called Motley and Jack's Coffee Roasters, which I am one half. I'm the Jack, uh, and Motley is actually my little dog, uh, who is the the mascot of the company, and uh, a constant reminder that that life is is too short to drink bad coffee. <laughs> so you you said you felt the pull of getting into speciality coffee. Mm-hmm. Tell us a bit more about how how that happened i mean obviously there are many similar stories elsewhere but uh, i'm curious uh, how did it start in in the non-for-profit mm-hmm. well with all things food and drink related i've always felt uh, an interest uh, i like to experience the, the world through my mouth <laughs> uh so any any uh anything that i read that sounds uh, exciting uh about about food or or, or drink cultures I, I tend to explore them mm-hmm. and maybe about five years ago I started to hear about specialty coffee I'd never uh, heard the term before I think I was in Ireland on a visit and was reading some interviews about uh, uh, this new wave of, of coffee shops this third wave of coffee shops that were springing up taking advantage of the, the cheaper rents in the wake of the, the destroyed economy in Ireland Mm. And uh, I thought, ah, oh, specialty coffee, what is that? For me, coffee had been something that was, was dark and, and bitter, and it had really one function, that was to, to keep you awake when you needed to. Um, and then I, I started reading these descriptions in this article about coffee that, that had tea-like qualities, that was fruity and jammy, and uh, that there could be such a difference between something from, from Kenya and something from Costa Rica, which for me, they had all been just the same beforehand. Yeah. Uh, so I decided to go and explore this. Uh, I went to uh, a coffee shop in, in Dublin uh, and ordered a, a Kenyan washed coffee. And uh, I was amazed by uh, how, how different coffee could taste uh, when it has been treated with care. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was the, the first cup in a, in a long journey. Then I started exploring the world of, of natural processed coffees and discovering, wow, there's this whole new world out there. And so that, that was, my, was my curiosity that, that led me into specialty coffee in the beginning. It's a very slippery slope, isn't it? It is. What, what kept me on the slope was the, the values that underpin the specialty coffee world, so that, that coffee is, is, is honored and respected, and the people who grow it are honored and respected. It's not just a, a commodity. And that the, the bywords for, for specialty coffee, as I've experienced it, are, are transparency, sustainability, and, uh, and fairness. So not just in terms of, of fair trade, but going far beyond that and really having a relationship trade with, with people who are growing. It's mm-hmm. amazing stuff. 
Was there any crossover with your, uh, I guess, your humanitarian work that you were doing previously in the, the kind of speciality world, particularly in kind of the values and things like that? There was a lot of it. Um, I worked with both environmental and humanitarian organizations for, for 10 years almost. Hmm. And uh, always had the urge to, to do something myself, hmm. uh, to do something in business. And I've never been short of ideas. Uh, but when I follow the ideas through, uh, I find that somewhere along the, the supply chain, uh, somebody has got to suffer in order for this business to work or mm -hmm. the environment has got to suffer. And then I lose interest. And then around the same time that I was discovering specialty coffee, um, this urge to really do something myself was, was just growing and growing. And I thought, well, specialty coffee, let's follow this through and let's find out where where I'll come to the point where my like, God, oh, this doesn't work because the planet has to suffer or somebody has to get screwed. And I just didn't find it. I think coffee, when it's done right, it has the possibility to just have a positive impact all the way along. And so it, it was a, a really a good match for, for the values that, that I had been able to live with uh, in humanitarian and environmental nonprofit work. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's quite a big step to go from uh, enjoying your first uh, Kenyan or Ethiopian coffee, for example, to mm -hmm. actually starting to roast your own. How, how did you make that step? Um, I can credit it maybe my, my little sister and my, my mother with, with really giving me the push in this. So you're blaming uh, other people. Okay. <laughs> I see the way this goes. Actually, I'm thanking them. <laughs> <laughs> I remember uh, one, one Christmas about three years ago saying, yeah, I've been having this business idea where I could, you know, have these uh, um, focus really on, on coffee subscriptions mm -hmm. and uh, share these things that I've been discovering about coffee from all different parts of the world. Uh, with other people that might be interested in it as well. And my little sister said, yeah, you should do it. You're always coming you know, back home for visits with these amazing ideas about businesses and projects that you're gonna do, and you never do any of them. So maybe this one you'll, you'll actually do. <laughs> and I thought, okay, this is the last time you're gonna say this to me. <laughs> uh, it was something that I, I realized then that I could be passionate about, uh, that I could be passionate about for, for a long, long time. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, it, it still is a risk to go from relative security of like a, a salary uh, to learning a totally new craft. It's one thing to be a consumer and it's another one to try and become a master. Um, and I'm not saying I'm a master by any stretch of the imagination yet. Uh, it's, it's definitely a journey, but it, yeah, it was a, a risk, uh, but it's also an adventure. And for me, that, that's a really exciting prospect. Security is nice, but uh, adventure is, is exhilarating, I think. Hmm. There's quite a big step between also learning to roast and hone your, your roasting craft, uh, mm -hmm. so to speak, and to then go to, uh, to running your own business as well. Um, yeah. Have there been bits of kind of running your own business as well that have been unexpectedly hard on top of the challenges of roasting and producing excellent, uh, excellent coffee? Uh, as a rule of thumb, everything has taken longer and cost more than I expected to get set up. Um, so finding premises in Stockholm has been much more challenging than I expected. Uh, any potential landlords tend to get scared off when you talk about uh, the need for a chimney or for uh, storing your, your gas uh, cylinders. Uh, there's no shortage of prospective tenants in the city. 
And so it's always easier to find somebody who's going to set up a hairdresser or an office. And so I lost a, a lot of, um, or I followed a lot of uh, potential premises through until, uh, yeah, the, the landlord got cold feet. Uh, mm -hmm. I was not making it super easy for myself because from the beginning I decided I didn't want to be in a pure industrial area. I wanted to be a part of community, whether that was inner city or whether it was suburban uh, or, or totally country. Uh, I just didn't want to be uh, in an industrial estate because it was clear that I was going to be working for the first year or so on my own. And uh, I just thought it would be a little bit lonely to be uh, there. Now, I know that there, there are communities in a lot of these industrial spaces as well, but I, I also wanted some something pretty to look at. <laughs> Surely Matt Lee keeps you company as well. Uh, he does. He finds it really boring to be uh, around the, the roasting premises. Uh, he's not allowed to come too close because of the health food, food and health safety. Um, it's a bit cold for him. Um, and so, uh, yeah, he, he finds it pretty boring. So he's happy to hang out on the, the admin days when I'm, I'm usually working from home. Uh, on the sofa, uh, but otherwise he has a gang that he goes out with for four hours every day. So that's where he is now. But yeah, he's good company. Uh, so I'm not completely alone. And you have recently moved to a, a new roastery premises. You managed to find one, I understand. Yes. Um, so we've gone really, uh, really rural, you might say. We are on an island in the Stockholm archipelago. The, the island is home to about a thousand people. And uh, our premises is, is two meters from the, from the waterfront. So looking out onto the Baltic Sea in a, an old military building from 100 years ago. Uh, so it is beautiful. Uh, it's a small community there and people walk uh, in front of the, the roastery every day. And usually once or twice a day, somebody pops in to say hello and have a coffee. And, and that's, that's fantastic. And, uh, the, the view is, I feel like I might be the, the roaster in Sweden who's got the best view from the roasting machine. So sometimes it's really hard to focus actually on what's going on in the roaster because there's such a beautiful view just outside the window as well. Mm -hmm. We saw some of your Instagram stories and, and videos of the view and it, it does look incredible. Um, we'd definitely like to make a trip to, to come and visit you at some point in the summer when it's a bit warmer. You're so welcome. <laughs> it's, uh, although it's a, it's an interesting uh, something that has just occurred to me in um, in Sweden, and especially the uh, the temperature difference uh, from kind of the peak of winter to the height of summer, if there is such a thing, um, it's, uh, it's quite quite a big range. Um, is there anything special that you have to do for kind of temperature stability when you're you're roasting um, to help deal with the fact that? the ambient temperature is, is so varied. Yeah, the, there's so many different variables when you're roasting coffee that it, it can be very difficult to know which is the variable that's making the difference at any particular moment in time. But for sure, if you try and roast the, the same coffee in the middle of January and apply the exact same recipe or a roasting profile six months later in the middle of July, the result is going to be really different. So you do have yeah. to take into account the, the fact that the, the temperature will be uh, will be different. Uh, the, the storage temperature, unless you have it highly controlled, is going to be different with the, the beans from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. uh, but also there's going to be more or less resistance in the, the air pressure. So you will have to 
adjust your, your, your temperature a little bit. You'll have to adjust your airflow. And uh, even from one day to the next, it, it can really vary, actually. But trial and error, uh, and then just tasting, tasting, tasting is, is the way to try and, uh, and keep your consistency, I think. It's a hard job, but someone's got to do it. And so uh, there's something a little bit different about the Muttley and Jack subscription, which was that uh, each coffee comes paired with a uh, fika recipe uh, mm -hmm. that is unique to that particular coffee. How, how did you come up with this idea? We absolutely love the, the concept of fika, having mm -hmm. embraced our Swedish uh, nativeness now. It, it seemed to be something just a bit self-evident. When you mm. think about the coffee culture in Sweden, uh, people don't just drink coffee. They have a sweet pastry uh, and a bit of a chat mm -hmm. uh, surrounding it. And, and that's the, the simple concept of, of fika. Uh, and so whenever I, I mentioned anybody uh, that I was planning to start roasting coffee, or I had started to roast coffee. They're like, oh, that's great. We must have the, your coffee when we next have our feet. Yeah. Uh, and so I thought, well, it would be really interesting to apply uh, like a flavor matching idea to, to the coffee that we roast. Mm -hmm. um, and so we just take, because we have a new, uh, a new country every month that we, we profile, mm -hmm. uh, we get to know it quite well. And, uh, they usually have a very unique flavor profile and uh, just thought this could be really interesting to experiment with, to hmm. see if you can match uh, a simple to bake so that the recipe can fit on the back of a postcard. Yeah. Uh, a cookie or cake or something uh, that will just elevate the experience of both the, the cake and, and the coffee itself. And it's fun. Hmm. And what do you look for when you're matching um, Fika to uh, the coffee, the taste notes and the pro flavor profile? Uh, either a complement or a contrast to the, right. the flavor of the coffee uh, and something that's not going to dominate the coffee. Uh, but in, in terms of the, the principles of, of flavor matching, you can, uh, you can match the exact flavors and then just accentuate the, the overall experience of, say, raspberry. <laughs> uh, or you can... Uh, you can try and, and contrast it. So you could say that you match uh, uh, blackcurrant with apple, which are, are quite different, but they're, they're very harmonious when they're, they're served together. Um, so that, that's what we look for. Are we either going to complement this or are we going to contrast it uh, and find a way that the, the coffee can still remain the, the star of the show? Uh, it's tempting to go overboard and make a, a really amazing cake, uh, but sometimes like, well, let, let's just pare it back a little bit so that it is still the, the flavors of the coffee that are, are dominating. Hmm. And do you really bake and try every uh, Fika recipe before you send out the subscriptions? Every single one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, your household must be very busy and uh, full of Fika. <laughs> Yeah, it is, and uh, it, it means that I've had to, to go up a size in jeans, actually, since <laughs> <the> company. <laughs> uh, I guess that's probably uh, shared with subscribers of the, uh, the coffee offering I as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> and have you had a favorite uh, coffee and fika pairing combo so far of the series? Yes, I have. Um, back in October last year, we had uh, Indonesian coffee. Hmm. And... Uh, it's reasonably rare to find specialty grade coffee coming from Indonesia that can stand on its own as a single origin. Uh, so we, we found one. It was fully washed, which again is unusual from, from Indonesia where the, 
the the wet hulling method is is the most common because of the the humidity in the country mm -hmm. um but up in the the mountains in in the western part of java the climate is a bit different and so it's possible to do uh fully washed coffees and uh we 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 tasted one uh, and we ordered it in and it had a really interesting clean uh, flavor. Lots of sweetness, uh, which you don't often find. Um, not too much body, which you usually do find. Uh, and it did have some of the typical things that are, are present in Indonesian coffee. A bit of earthiness, uh, a little bit of these tobacco, sweet tobacco or licorice flavors, uh, but not in, in a way that I would describe as unpleasant. So it was a really interesting find to have this uh, Indonesian coffee. Uh, and in this one, we decided to go for the, the complementing flavors. So to take a little bit of the, the herbalness and uh, created something that wasn't going to, to dominate. Um, and we came up with a Italian biscotti recipe that uh, we added rosemary to. So you have the the slightly savory elements of the of the coffee and the savory elements of, of biscotti, which is not a super sweet uh, biscuit, and the, the the crunch was just really satisfying with this. And yeah, I would say this was my my favorite so far. Mm, sounds incredible. There's, um before we we move on, because what I really wanted to talk to you about was your um, your experience in the uh, Swedish Roasters Championship, mm -hmm. um, which. Congratulations on placing second for a second year in a row, by the way. Um, but before we move on from there, um, do you have a particular strategy for your kind of sourcing of origins and, and beans for, for Matt and Jack? Um, I depend a lot on import partners. Mm -hmm. We're so small, there, we're still a long way from being able to fill a container and ship it <laughs> Uh, and quite early on, I met with um, with some people from from Nordic Approach, mm -hmm. who are a green buying company based out of Oslo. And uh, yeah, the conversation um, was really interesting. It made me curious to order some samples from them. And uh, reading through their their information and and having conversations, I realized that their values match very much the values of of Muttley and Jacks when it comes to sustainability and transparency. Um, and everything that they, they have delivered has been delicious. Mm. Uh, I get a lot of samples, uh, can't order everything, but I wish I could. <laughs> um, and so the, the strategy is actually having a lot of trust in, in Nordic Approach and, and other uh, wholesalers like them. Uh, and I've been fortunate enough to be able to, to travel with them to, to Origin in Ethiopia. Uh, I had a, a pretty good feeling that our, our values were lined up, but it was a really good opportunity to, to experience it, that we do have the, the same values when it comes to wanting to build relationships and to have, have trade that is, is really mutually beneficial, that lifts everybody. Hmm. Uh, and apart from that, um, we have promised that we will feature a new coffee every single month <laughs> uh, which ambitious. <laughs> is ambitious uh to be honest when i started that i didn't realize how ambitious it was um but uh i've been really glad that, that we have mm. uh, it has forced me as a roaster to grow and learn much faster than i maybe otherwise would have done mm. uh, it can be a little bit sad because you spend uh weeks or sometimes months ex experimenting with a particular coffee until you want to get the 
perfect profile for it. And just when you have, and then you send it out to your 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 members, then it's it's gone. <laughs> Bye. Um, we do, of course, keep some in, in stock, and as long as we have the green coffee, we'll roast it to, to order. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's a really great way to learn how to roast coffees from many different origins very fast. Uh, but then, yeah, you have to be ready to say goodbye to them when the when the month has passed as well. Fleeting, yeah. but very delicious and fleeting, I'm sure. Excellent. Uh, so I guess that leads us nicely onto, um, I guess, your your craft as a roaster, um, and particularly uh, the Swedish or the, the Swedish roasting championship, um, as has uh, recently been. Mm -hmm. um, as a bit of an intro, I guess uh, competitions within the speciality coffee world are, are still relatively um, obscure to many people who enjoy the coffee on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and I think some proportion will have heard of the Barista Cup. Uh, I guess a, a smaller proportion will have heard of some of the other competitions. Um, for someone who's never heard of the Roasting Championship, how would you describe it? It's uh, three days of demonstrating your craft as a roaster. Uh, it takes place uh, under fairly intense conditions. There's a lot of time pressure, there's a lot of space pressure, and you have to show your, your ability to both grade uh, and evaluate green coffee. Hmm. Uh, you have to show your, your ability to, to sample roast so hmm. that you are able to uh, identify what is the potential uh, of any given coffee. And then once you've identified that potential, you have to make a production roast. So a, a large, uh, at least three kilo roast of a, a single origin and also mm -hmm. a blend of three other origins. Mm. Uh, and you have to try and make it as delicious as you can uh, within a half an hour for the single origin or an hour to, to make your blend. And not only does it have to be delicious, but it has to match what you have said in your plan it's going to taste like. So you might make the world's most delicious cup of coffee that tastes of jasmine and, uh, and raspberry. Uh, but if in your plan you've written that it's gonna taste like apple and toffee, uh, you're <laughs> gonna lose some points there. So you, you have to see the potential, uh, you have to make a plan, and then you have to deliver upon that. Hmm. Okay, so the, the green coffee sampling uh, stage as a, as a first step. Um, are they generally trying to hide some slight defects in there or, or are you yeah. uh, trying to score the coffees or how does that work? You have um, around about 30 minutes in which you have to use whatever instruments you've been provided with to measure the, the density mm -hmm. uh, and uh, the water, uh, the moisture content of it. Um, you also have to use your, your senses, your eyes and your, your, your nose, to uh, identify what is the aroma from uh, a list of, of possible aromas, fresh or sour or neutral, uh, and then the same for, for the color. But the real challenging part is that you start off, or the judges start off with a perfect sample of, of defect-free coffee, uh, 350 grams or so of it, and then they hide in yeah, 20, 30, 40 <laughs> defects, 
who knows? Uh, and there are 16 possible defects that, that it could be. So you not only have to find them in the remaining minutes of your 30 minutes, but you have to classify what those defects are as well. So it depends a lot on, on how challenging the judges try to make it. Uh, do they hide 10 defects in there or do they hide 40? Um, <laughs> can be anywhere in between and then uh, yeah you have to you have to be both accurate and you have to be fast because the time disappears so quickly in that mm. and i guess some of those defects may kind of obscure each other as well yeah one bean might have more than one defect uh, mm. it might be um have a fungus but it might also be broken and you have to decide well which of these is the primary defect in this and you have to make that call mm. And the remaining stages take place, or all of the stages, sorry, take place over the course of three days. Yeah, um, one of those days tends to be a practice day. So you will usually do your, your sample roasting and the green coffee defect uh, analysis uh, early on. Mm -hmm. And then you will have uh, an hour or so for all of the, the competitors to have a practice on the the larger machine which is a five or six kilo roaster uh, and uh, then you you sort of try and soak up that experience soak up what you've learned from the sample roasting uh, what you know about the beans that you're going to roast with you don't get to roast those on the on the test day or on the practice day um, and then yeah make your plan and is it kind of a do you get? Do you take it in turns to um, to use the the same equipment? Because um, roast roasteries are obviously not exactly simple to pop up in in large numbers. Um, yeah. So this year we were we were eight uh, competitors, and it was all scheduled out. Uh, so there was military precision almost. Um, so there was just one sample roaster. There's just one production roaster. Uh, so. You have to be available and around for all of these three days, um, but in reality, you only get to, to use the machines for about an hour each mm. uh, while you're practicing. Right. Which did you face any? Are there any parts of the competition this year that you particularly struggled with, or you particularly enjoy least? Or um, and conversely, which bits do you enjoy the most as well? Yeah, the, this year uh, it was nice because I was I was returning to the competition. Uh, last year was much scarier. I was new in the, the world of specialty coffee. Mm -hmm. um, I was competing for the very first time. Uh, this year was very different. It was meeting up with people that I had met both at that event last year and at various events. So it was like, uh, yeah, meeting up a lot of, of really nice, friendly colleagues. Um, both years it's been quite cold it's in uh, sweden in february uh roasteries are the best of times can be cold places so it's a struggle to deal with the with the temperatures um each machine is is different um and an hour to learn the intricacies of how a machine is going to react to uh yeah to your touch or to your what you imagine it's going to do when it has 70% gas or 90% gas, it can be very different from machine to machine. So an hour um, to, to really try and understand the machine is, uh, is very little time. Mm. Yes, definitely. 
um, and you, I believe, managed to achieve uh, second place again this year, which is uh, very good news indeed. Yeah, it it was uh, it was really nice confirmation that it, it wasn't a one hit wonder last year. Uh, mm. I managed to bring a lot more experience this year. Last year, I was still very very new to to roasting, and uh, I signed up last year almost as a way to force myself to learn as much as I could in a very short period of time. Uh, and it was really a, a great surprise to to do so well and to to come home with uh, with silver medal. Uh, this year I had uh, an extra year to really put in a lot of time. Um, there was a lot more uh, people competing this year, mm. uh, so to to be able to keep uh, second place was it felt really great as well. And uh, to come second to uh, to Joanna, uh, who who was the winner this year uh, and has come place uh, has come second and third in the the world roasting championship i mean there's there's absolutely no disgrace in, in that so i was thrilled no none at all whatsoever and there's um how does how did you approach training for for this type of event i guess producing a new coffee for your subscribers every month is probably a good start in itself mm -hmm. I think the, the single most important thing that I did was I tried to find some good teachers. Uh, I'm not the most experienced roaster in the world. And so what I, I lacked in my own experience, I tried to soak up from people who were experienced. Um, so I, yeah, I asked other roasters if I could come and, and, and learn from them. And that was probably the, the single most uh, valuable thing I did. Uh, I spent uh, a few days with, with Creston from Fjord Coffee in Berlin, and uh, he was really into the, the, the competition. Uh, he, he drilled me every, every, every few minutes. You got a Costa Rica coffee. It was grown at 1,600 meters. It's a natural process. What do you do? Quick, 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 quick. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm going to charge the drum to 185 degrees. I'm going to go in uh, with this temperature. And uh, it was really very intense, <laughs> but very, very helpful. Uh, the other most important thing I would say is to find out what machines you're going to be using in the competition. Uh, if you're going to have a Giesen or a Diedrich or a Probat or some other roaster, uh, then you can try and find somebody who has that same roaster and, and practice with them. And the same goes for all of the tools. Uh, one of the things you have to do in the competition is uh, forecast what will be the color reading mm. on the coffee when it's been ground up and pass through this this color reader that gives a reading uh and uh yeah you have to calibrate yourself into all of these tools like the roaster and the color reading so if you find out in advance what they are and practice with them it will give you uh, a sense of comfort and maybe a competitive advantage on the day as well mm. and so the barista uh, championship, for example, I think sometimes receives a number of comments that um, increasingly the score sheet and the way it's marked uh, sometimes um, requires you to learn a slightly separate skill to um, being an actual day-to-day um, -day production barista in a cafe. Um, do you feel that the roasting championship um, represents a good cross-section of the day-to-day -day activities that are in fact required to be a roaster? Um, I think it, it does and it doesn't. I don't think in competition scenario like this you will ever roast the best coffee that you've ever roasted because in order to do that 
yeah, you will spend uh, weeks and weeks and possibly months uh, of, of cupping afterwards. You want to know how your coffee is, is aging uh, days and weeks after you've roasted it. You want to try a few different profiles and just tweak one variable at a time, and you just you cannot do that. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the, the coffee that you roast in the competition is, uh, is donated, uh, and uh, it might not be the best coffee that's out there, but it's perfect for, for competition where it's never going to be the best coffee anyway. Uh, so what I think it, it, it does uh, is it really allows roasters to challenge themselves and to focus on skills that they should be using every day in their roasteries, uh, how to be fast and efficient at uh, evaluating green coffee. You really need to be able to do that. Um, you really have to practice your, your sensory skills before the competition in order to be able to find the potential in a, a sample roast and then to write a plan that's actually going to deliver the flavors that you have said. So it's not so much the, the competition itself, but I think it's the amount of preparation that if you want to do well, that you have to do really benefits you as uh, as a roaster in the long term. But uh, it's true that what you do under those three days in the competition is probably fairly different from what you will do in your own practice back in your roastery. Mm. Marvelous. And what's next uh, for you personally as a uh, speciality coffee professional and for Mudley and Jack as well? Well, we have recently uh, moved into this new roastery. We were sharing premises um, up until now. And so it's been fantastic to just have our own space where we can go and work every single day and experiment more with the coffees. Uh, we've had a lot of requests from, from different cafes and restaurants over the last year if we would be able to supply them. And it's not something that we've been able to do because we've only had a couple of days per month in a roastery up until now. And so we've really focused heavily on the, the membership. Uh, and so it's quite exciting that now we can actually start to respond to uh, some of these requests and we're sending samples out to various cafes throughout Europe mm. and Sweden. And uh, yeah, it's starting to pop up in, in, in cafes and restaurants more and more. So I think and I hope that we'll see more of that as 2018 goes on. Mm. And what would be the, uh, the kind of ideal outcome for Mutley and Jack? What would be the dream scenario for for you to think, yes, I've, we've done it? Mm. Um, I would say that we we have at least two or three solid legs to stand on, that we continue to grow our, our membership and that we are providing a really great coffee to, to hundreds or thousands of people uh, every month. Uh, but at the same time that we're able to, to work on our, our wholesale, uh, again, with this idea of, of relationship and, and partnership, that mm-hmm. we can provide coffee, but we can also provide our experience and insight and, and support uh, to the people who are preparing the coffee. Um, and uh, I think it would be really great as well to have a third leg, which is to elevate the, the workplace coffee that people drink. Um, in Sweden, it's maybe not as bad as in other places, but uh, there still is a very long history of, of roasting quite dark uh, coffee in Sweden, and that's what most people drink in the workplace. So I think it would be really interesting to see if, if people want to drink specialty coffee more in the workplace. 
Perfect. Well, thank you very much for your time, Jack. Um, that has been wonderful to talk to you and find out more about it, uh, about your career and about uh, your journey so far. And um, we very much look forward to drinking more of your excellent coffee and hopefully visiting your showroom, your uh, roastery. Yeah, I hope so too. And thank you very much for inviting me and uh, best of luck with the podcast. <laughs> thank you.